we're going to continue today uh, with chapter 3. I think we discussed uh, the first few verses last week. I want to read them and then kick into where we are today. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal. As to babes in Christ, I fed you with milk, not with solid food. For until now, you were not able to receive it. And even now, you're still not able. For you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? The church has made no progress since Paul left there. Uh, and he's uh, obviously he's uh, tore up about it. it he's, he's very uh, bothered by it. They uh, instead of acting like children of God, they're acting like children of men, children of the world. And for this reason, uh, Paul is uh, he shook up. Now they've lost a couple of years. They could have been growing in Christ, but instead they were drifting from Christ. And that, of course, uh, was a, a terrible thing, especially to Paul, <clears throat> because he, uh, he was the one who had begotten these people to Christ. He took it very personal. He continues, though, where they made divisions following men. Who is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed. A minister is one who serves a master. He is a slave, uh, could be a steward. But uh, the idea is uh, they're not the important person. They're the servant of the important person. That's all ministers are. <coughs> Basically, <coughs> a mouth who speaks on behalf of a king. In this case, you have uh, the Holy Spirit and you have ministers appointed by him. And I think in the context, he's talking primarily about the apostles. Uh, and the principal preachers, uh, the Holy Spirit, he has the words of God. He gives it to these ministers, those who are inspired by the Holy Spirit, a direct operation of the Holy Spirit. And then the work of the minister is to transmit those same words uh, into the world. That's what the minister does. So as you can see, a minister is a middleman. That's all he is. Uh, the principal in this case is the Holy Spirit. The minister or preacher, whatever you want to call him, he's a middleman. He just transmits uh, what God wants his people to know. That doesn't mean he's not important, but he's not the important enough to follow, okay? Uh, he's not the one to follow. In Matthew chapter 20, uh, 25 through 8, the Lord called his disciples to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. This is the way it is in, let's say, government. This is the way it is in business, uh, in business in a factory or whatever. You've got the upper management. You've got the supervisors. You've got team leaders. You've got the, the workers, okay? The, uh, the system is <clears throat> the bottom of the rung is well, the lowest paid person in the place. And then you got step up, step up, step up, step up. 
uh, and each one is a step above the other, okay? This is the way it works in the world's system. Yet, it shall not be so among you. This isn't going to happen in the kingdom of God, is what he's saying. There's not going to be a tear uh, section in the kingdom of God. But whoever desires to become great among you, he, he aspires to be a principal player. Whoever has that desire, let him be your servant. Let him be the one that waits on you. Let him take the most menial jobs, the most laborious jobs. Uh, the person who wants to do good in the kingdom of God uh, can only do good if he first makes himself a servant to the citizens of the kingdom. He's got to take on uh, the greater responsibility of serving others. Whatever and whoever desires to be first among you, well, let him be your slave. Uh, he's the one that <clears throat> has to do the most uh, challenging work of all in the kingdom of God. Uh, it's not about a preacher, for example. He's not over a church. Truth be told, he's under the church, okay? Because church, in a sense, rests on his back. So he's not up here, he's actually down here. And that's, it's, it's not that people are supposed to think they can step on preachers, but it's that the preacher's gotta have that attitude. He's the one that's gotta have it. That he's a servant, he's not a master. He's gotta remember who the master is, and sometimes, Sometimes people forget that. They forget that Jesus is the master. They think that they're the master and that uh, they run things. Uh, Jesus said, no, not in the church. We don't want it to be this way. Just as the son of man, he said, I didn't come to serve. I wasn't the chief, the principal above you all because I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus was chief among all. Well, take the 12 apostles, for example. We usually rank them up there pretty high, and it's understandably so. But you take Jesus, he was God in flesh, and what did he do? He got down on his knees, and he washed their feet. He took the position of slave. He didn't wait for somebody to wash his feet. He took it upon himself to wash their feet because that's the mind of a servant. He doesn't wait to be served, he serves. He's looking for an opportunity to benefit the church, and that's what he does. That's what our Lord did, and that's what his, uh, the attitude, the mindset his ministers ought to have as well. They're not, a, they're not king, they're the slave. Paul and Apollos, they're ministers to whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. Uh, in Matthew 25, 14 and 15, the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called to his own servants, let's say 12 apostles for the moment, and he de delivered his goods to them. What were his goods? His words, his words, as well as his example. He called these 12 to him, he gave them his words, and it was their job to transmit the words to the world. He gave to one uh, five talents, uh, to another two, to another one. Different abilities. Some people have more natural abilities than others. And because they have more abilities, they get more responsibility. The Lord puts the responsibility on them. 
what you want to get is that it's the master who gives the responsibility. You don't take responsibility. You receive responsibility. And there are some that the, the master gives uh, five responsibilities. Another one, two, and another one, one. What makes the difference? The individual does. Some people aren't in a position where they can carry five talents or two. They, they can carry one and struggle to do that. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. That doesn't mean he's defective. That's just who he is. And because of that, the Lord knows his disciples, and he puts on each one what he knows they can bear. If you're having to bear responsibilities, you can take it as a vote of confidence from the Lord. He's put those responsibilities on you because he knows you are equipped to handle the responsibility. To each according to his own ability. I got ahead of myself. I apologize. But basically, that's what uh, the Lord is saying. Uh, be fond of the fact that it's the Lord who gives us our responsibilities. Uh, we know. That's the hard thing. You know, the Lord doesn't speak to you and say, hey, this is your responsibility. But you know when you ought to do something. There's that word ought, that word ought, moral obligation. I ought to do this, but I don't want to, okay? I ought to do this. Why do I feel that way? Well, because I know I can and I should. I just don't want to do it. Why? I'd rather watch TV. I'd rather uh, go fishing. I'd rather not get too involved. I don't want people looking to me for uh, to do something. Sometimes people know I ought to do something, but I don't want to do it. Well, the thing is, when you ought to do something, you ought to do it. Uh, because that ought is teaching us a, a lesson. A lesson of uh, what we ought to at least try uh, to do. But sometimes, uh, sometimes it gets in our way. Sometimes it gets in our way. Whoops. Wrong button. <clears throat> I planted, but to go back to the farmer now, I put the seed in the ground. Apollos came behind me and he watered the seed. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm sorry. I'm congested or something. <clears throat> but God gave the increase. I put the seed in the ground. Apollos watered the ground, but it was God that made the corn grow, Okay. It wasn't me, Paul. It wasn't Apollos. We don't have that kind of power. We can't make seed grow, but God can. We did what God gave us to do, and God took care of the increase. So then, neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters. It makes preachers feel kind of unnecessary, don't it? What he means by that, they're not the guy to follow. That's what they were doing in Corinth. They were following different individuals. And Paul's basically trying to get it across to him. These individuals can't give you anything. Follow Christ. He's the one who can take care of business. Follow Christ. Listen to your leaders, of course, but follow Christ. He's the one who has the power. But it's God who gives the increase. 
it's a uh, and when you think about it reasonably it's kind of foolish to follow men uh, we all know uh, that the Lord Jesus Christ uh, has all power and authority uh, and whatever he, whatever he would have us to do that's what we ought to be doing now that's not to say that preachers and elders and Bible teachers, that's not to say that they're not important. They are important, very important. The Lord uh, ordained such people to this work. Uh, but their, their responsibility is to communicate the word of God, and uh, that's as far as it can go. They take what God has said, and they pass it on to other folks. Follow Christ, not men. <clears throat> now he who plants, he who waters are one. They, they work together. Uh, you've got to have a waterer, just like you have to have somebody that plants the seed. Uh, both positions are essential. Before God can give the increase, there has to be planting, there has to be watering. So they work together as a team in unison. And each one, they'll receive their own reward according to their own labor. Paul will receive his reward. Apollos will receive his reward. And it's based on uh, our labor, how much uh, we're uh, uh, in, involved, I expect, in the kingdom of God, uh, how much we give of ourselves as we labor in the vineyard of God. Uh, our reward, in some degree, I know, rests on that. Uh, I, I hate to talk about that because it always takes so long to explain uh, some people labor long and hard in the kingdom. Some people do not. One Christian, he spends many of his waking hours trying to teach, instruct, convert, whatever. Another Christian spends basically no time at all. Once in a while, something will pop up, a question will be asked, or teaching their children, of course, which is very good. But as far as being intensely involved in kingdom work, they're not. It's just not practical that everybody be so involved in the kingdom. It's not practical. Well, it stands to reason, therefore, that the person who invests so much of themselves into the kingdom is going to receive a greater reward when they get to heaven. Now, what is that reward? They're going to get more gold. They're going to get more silver. They're going to get uh, uh, T-bone steak instead of uh, chicken. What's the reward when they get to heaven? The reward is in their labor. It's because of what they know they have done. The person who labors much is probably going to experience more conversions into Christ than the person who labors not much, okay? The person who spends so much time making disciples out of sinners is going to have more joy, more happiness when they get to heaven and they see their disciples, the people that they won over to Christ. They're, they're going to come, he gonna, he gonna, he's going to hug them. He's happy. I'm so happy you made it. I'm so glad you stayed the course. 
because of his work and because of those who are there uh, in some measure due to his efforts, he's going to be a sharer of their uh, happiness. The person who converts few, he's going to have less to rejoice over simply because the labor wasn't there the worldly the the rewards in the world weren't there not for him uh, so it, it stands to reason that the person who has done the most labor is going to experience the greater reward uh, i think we'll cross that again before we go far so let's put a pin in it and we'll continue uh, there's a planter, there's a waterer, there's a visitor, there's a benevolent person, there's a building maintenance, there's a bookkeeper. There's all kinds of ways to do service in the kingdom of God. It's not just about making converts. It's about how much of ourself we give to the kingdom. The person who gives their entire self to the kingdom is going to experience more joy in the end than a person who did not give that much simply because they have more labor invested. It has to work that way. A person who has 10 children graduate college is going to have more cause for rejoicing, more cause for being broke than the person who raises two children. To, to, to look at your brood of 10 and knowing what you have done over the past 30 years and see what they've accomplished it, it would be a, a, a very incredible feeling to have. The person who has two children, they're going to feel a very great feeling, but proportionately it's not going to be to the same degree because the other ones have 10 to your two. It's just going to make a difference that way. It's not a reward that God's going to give. It's reward that we're earning right now, right now. This is the reward we'll experience when we get to heaven. The joy, the happiness of a job well done. So we want to do a good job in whatever area we endeavor because they're all important. There's no one to say that the planner is more important than the bookkeeper. Without the bookkeeper, we wind up in jail. Everybody has a role to play and they're all important. For we, Paul uses the we including himself, teachers is what he's talking about we are God's fellow workers much like farmers are you on the other hand you are God's field that is the church you are God's building that is the Lord's temple it's the teacher's responsibility to take care of the church or temple whichever terminology you prefer to use uh, God judges believers' works, uh, chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. That was Paul's job in Corinth. That's what the Lord wanted him to do. He wanted him to lay the foundation. There was no church there. There were no Christians. So God wanted Paul to lay the foundation for a church. He's going to make converts. They're going to be very new converts. They're going to be very unlearned converts. Uh, they're going to have a very, very long way to go. Uh, and it's going to take a, a great deal of time 
These people are, are pagans. They're coming out of a pagan society, and now they're trying to change their worldview into uh, a religion with only one God. It was going to be very hard. Lay the foundation, Paul. This is what you're good at. <clears throat> and another, another will come along and build on it. That's what he meant when he said, I have planted and Apollos watered. I went to Corinth. I laid the foundation, not a material building, talking about people. I laid the foundation, and then Apollos came behind me, and he started going up with the structure, okay? Paul gave him a good footing to set on, the church. He gave him all the basics, the fundamentals of New Testament Christianity. Uh, he demonstrated the power of God in their presence. They, they received everything they needed to receive in order to believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. And then Apollos came, and he starts going up with the walls. He starts teaching them other things. As the Hebrews author says in chapter 6, uh, let us get off the basics and go on to the structure. It's time to build the house, the temple, the church of God. And that's what Apollos came along to do. It's a process. It takes a great deal of time, and it takes a great many people to accomplish the work, but uh, this is what Paul is talking about. Uh, according to the grace of God, uh, as a wise master builder, I laid the foundation, and another came behind me, and he built on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. Now he's talking to me. He's talking to Bible teachers, okay? The foundation's here. It's been here for a long time. The structure is up. It's in process. It's always, it has to be in process all the time. Uh, we're continuously uh, uh, building the facility by making uh, new Christians. You're still going up with the walls. Uh, But pay attention to what you're converting. Pay attention to what you're doing. It's, it's not enough to just bring people into the building. You've got to bring the right kind of people into the building. Okay? That's his point right there in the latter part of verse 10. <clears throat> For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. To build on Christ, you have to build the way Christ has directed. To build in a way different than what Christ has directed, <clears throat> you're going to get a structure that's something different than what Christ wants. For example, uh, I don't know how much it is today, but back what, 20 years ago, uh, the big thing was entertainment. Okay, it was very important. Uh, clowns for Christ ministry. Uh, some uh, churches had wrestling matches. I mean, there's all kinds of corny stuff going on in churches. Uh, the purpose of it was to bring people in, bring people into the church. Uh, in our brotherhood, some brethren down in Texas started circulating uh, a document uh, asking people in the community, what would you like to see in a church? And the people wrote what they wanted to and they sent it back to the church and then the elders of the church got together they seen what people in the community wanted to see in the church 
and they started implementing those ideas, okay? This is what Paul's talking about. Take heed how you build. Okay, Jesus gave us the plan. He's already told us how to build. He told us what to do and how to do it. But there's a great emphasis from time to time where you basically chunk the plan that the Lord gave us and develop your own schemes, ways to bring people in. Uh, the attendance count obviously goes up, the contribution goes up, but the quality of the church, it goes down, okay? Uh, and this is what the warning is all about. There's only one foundation that's sure. There's only one foundation that will endure the storms of life, and that is those built on the foundation of Christ, okay? If we deviate from the divine plan, uh, things aren't going to go the way we hoped they would. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, uh, Peter said, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Uh, I don't have a plan that can save anyone, and neither does any other man. Nobody has a way of bringing people to Christ that will work. There's only one plan that will work, and that's the plan that the Lord gave. Well, yes, you may not see the numbers of people come flocking in, but just because the number of people come flocking in, that doesn't mean you brought in Christians. You brought in people who, who, who think they're Christians, but according to Jesus, they're not. You brought in people that you accept, but these are people that Jesus won't accept. So what have you gained in the end? you got more heads, you've got more money, but you don't have what the Lord was looking for. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation, the Christ, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. He puts out two categories. The first one's gold, silver, precious stones. These are people of great value to the Lord. These are true disciples to Christ. And then he talks about wood, hay, and straw. This is inferior building materials. Okay, Wood, hay, and straw, it's not going to last like gold, silver, and precious stones will. They're going to corrupt, they're going to burn, they're going to get wet, they're going to rot. There's so many things that go wrong with these building materials. He says, each one's work, this is, of course, the preacher slash teacher, each one's work, what they have done, will become clear. <clears throat> Why? For the day of fire will declare it, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. The fire is the testing that comes in life. And what happens? Those disciples that were wood, hay, and straw, they're gone. But those disciples that are gold, silver, and precious stones, they remain. The fire can't destroy them. But the fire will destroy the others. And there's going to be tests in life. That's Hey, that's it, man. As long as we live, we're going to have to experience the reality of difficulties. Now, how do we handle those difficulties? It depends on where our heart is. 
if our heart belongs to Christ, we can stand. But if it doesn't, we're going to be destroyed because we don't have the wherewithal to stand. It's just that simple. If you bring in good disciples, <clears throat> you have much to rejoice over. But if the disciples you bring in are destroyed by life's temptations, what have you got to show for your life's labor? The fire is going to put you to the test and reveal what kind of work has been done. Now, if anyone's work which he has built on it endures, withstands the tests of life, gold, silver, precious stones, if this person's work endures, makes it to heaven, he will receive a reward. He gets to heaven. He sees those disciples he was fortunate enough to be involved with, and they, they stayed the course, and they, they went to heaven. And he's going to rejoice. Why? His labor was not in vain. Have you ever worked and, and found out that what you did was just in vain? It was for nothing? One time I had to work. I worked in R&D in the engineering department up in Cookville. One time I had, I worked for two years on a project that the higher-ups knew was going to fail in the end. I didn't, they did. I spent two years working on a project they knew was gonna fail. And when it was over, I found out that they knew it all the time that it was gonna fail. I spent two years of my life working on something that wasn't going to work. And I was, uh, I was steamed over that. I remember what my manager said, well, you got paid, didn't you? Well, you like your work to be a little bit more than just getting paid. You like some sort of return on your efforts. But when there's no return there, there's no happiness. When you do something and it works out well, you feel good. I did something worthwhile. I did something constructive of value. And it makes you feel good about yourself. But when you wasted your time there's nothing to rejoice over this is kind of what Paul's talking about if anyone's work which he has built on endures he will receive a reward if anyone's work is burned the wood hay and straw and all teachers have it let's face it that's part of it there's there's going to be some converts that uh, never fully commit to the Lord uh, we don't know it. The Lord knows. We don't know. But uh, we will find out one day that uh, either they made it or they didn't make it. If, if some of your work is burned, teacher, the wood, hay, and straw, you're going to suffer a loss. What does that mean? He's, he's going to lose his soul? Uh, not necessarily. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Uh, you set out to take the world for Christ, and along the way you make converts. Uh, some of them are, are real, and some of them are not. You can't tell the difference because they all look the same. Well, the ones that are real will endure to the end. They'll go to heaven. You'll see them. You'll be happy. Your reward is great. But some that you made along the way you had uh, great hopes for, 
only to find out that they didn't last. Well, you're going to suffer a loss. Well, our hope isn't gone. Why? You're still going to be saved. If you, if you tried to construct the house according to the plan that the Lord gave you to follow, if you did your best to construct the house in that manner, you're going to experience a mote and straw. But even though they are lost, which is their fault, you're going to be saved anyway. Even though you've got uh, 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 three individuals that go to heaven instead of six, you're going to you're going to be rewarded anyway, because you can reward, you can rejoice in those three. Okay, you'll be saved. Your labor hasn't been in vain in this case. Uh, every teacher or preacher, they know, they know the the pain, the reality of trying to help someone serve the Lord and having great hopes for them and watching them uh, slowly but surely fall away. You take it personal. It, it, they become like your kids, okay? You, 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 you receive them as an infant and, and, and you try to nurse them along the way and help them to grow up into Christ and it becomes a very personal thing for the preacher or teacher. And they, they, they suffer a loss when that individual uh, falls away. Uh, and it's very painful. And this is what Paul's talking about. That's the way it will be for the preacher slash teacher. You don't change the rules to keep them from falling away. You still follow the same rules no matter what, but there's always that nagging tendency to make an exception to the rule. But if you do, you're not doing the person any good. So you have a talk with yourself, you pray to God, and you stay the course. You, Paul said, are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Paul carried the church at Corinth in his heart. Wherever he went, he carried those folks in his heart. Uh, he, he watched them be born again. And from that time forward, for about 18 months, he cared for them like babies, like little children. And then he had to go on to another mission work. And uh, they became... Uh, a part of his heart. He took it very personally. And to the Thessalonians, he said, what is our hope in our reward when we get to heaven? What is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? What is it that's going to give us so much happiness? Is it not even you, you Christians at Thessalonica, as I see you standing in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming, when I see you standing there with the Lord, he said, I'm going to feel so good. I'm going to be so happy. I'm going to have a reason to rejoice because my labor wasn't in vain. That's where the reward comes. That's why there's different degrees of happiness in heaven. Uh, people think of uh, happiness or uh, degrees of happiness 
uh, you get more than the other guy gets. We all got the same thing. We got salvation, okay? I got forgiveness of my sins. I got an opportunity to become a son of God and to walk with him through this world. That, that's my reward. What I do now is uh, thank him every day of my life because of what he did for me. That doesn't mean there won't be happiness. There will be happiness. Because when we get to heaven, we're going to look across the way and we're going to see each other. I'll see Roy Flett standing there. Or I'll see Roy Smallwood standing there. And I'll be so happy because after all these years of looking at these men, I know that they were successful in their endeavor to get to heaven. They are my brothers now. They'll be my brothers then. And of course I'm going to be happy. Who wouldn't? The more people you're involved with, the more work you do for the Lord, the greater your reward will be when you get to heaven. There are varying degrees of reward and punishment. In punishment, there's varying degrees of hell. Jesus told Capernaum, it will be more tolerable for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be for you. What does that mean? That means the city of Capernaum is going to suffer more punishment than the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? Well, Sodom and Gomorrah rejected God, absolutely. Capernaum rejected God face to face. He stood there with them. He spoke with them. He demonstrated who he was beyond a reasonable shadow of a doubt. And they still rejected him. Therefore, their punishment will be greater in the day of the judgment. There are different degrees of punishment. There are different degrees of uh, reward. It depends on us, though. We have the capacity to be more happy. Then we shall receive a greater reward. And the capacity, of course, is in the heart right there. That's where the reward's going to be found, is in the heart. Uh, it's not going to be in a nine-bedroom mansion. Uh, we're all going to receive the same reward, eternal salvation in life. Hey, what more could you ask for? What more could you possibly ask for? Do you not know that you, the, the, the church at Corinth, that you are the temple of God? and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. That's what the temple signifies, is the dwelling place of God. The Spirit dwells within you. Uh, that's the old temple. That's the place uh, where the priests served and where God sat was in that building. And this is basically what he's telling them. The church today is the very same not a, a literal uh, brick building, but figuratively, the temple nonetheless. And on the inside of the temple uh, are God's priests doing their work as God's priests always did since the tabernacle was first constructed. If anyone defiles that temple, the church, if anyone defiles, hurts that temple of God, God will destroy that person, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. And again, who's he talking about? He's talking about teachers and preachers, right? 
He's talking about those who are building the building. It's amazing to me how much there is in the scriptures that addresses preachers and teachers. These are the ones who are constructing the place, the building. And uh, you have to take heed how you build to be conscious about what you're doing. There's always temptations to use inferior material. Ever since I've been doing this, there's always been temptations. And sometimes, I gotta be honest with you, sometimes, boy, it was really hard to resist temptation. But you've got to resist the temptation. You gotta take your licks along the way. You just got to.